I am Rick Thomas, and you're listening to Your Daily Drive. Thank you so much for joining me for this podcast. I have something really good for you today. I have a mind map that I want to share with you in this podcast. The title of the podcast and the article on the website is Mind Mapping, The Insecure Husband and the Critical Wife. If you are not familiar with mind mapping, I would encourage you to get the article. It's free. It's out there for you, and you can check it out. Mind mapping, I have found to be very good in discipleship context. It is a visual way of walking a Christian through whatever the dynamic situation that they may be in, whether it be a marriage or a personal problem. I have done this many times for counselees, people that I am discipling, and I have a mind map of a husband and a wife who have had a long-standing marriage problem, and they they needed some help working it out. And as they were talking, I sketched out a mind map. We began to walk through it. I have a reconstructed version of that mind map in this article. It's over 2,000 words as far as the article is concerned, And it will help you to uh, pull it off the website, to print it off, or put it on your device so that you can read it carefully and slowly and work your way through the mind map. If you are a Christian counselor, if you are into discipleship, a small group leader, a pastor, someone who loves to get into the messes that we create and to help them Well, this will really help you. Uh, It's a good visual diagnostic. And so, again, the title of the article and this podcast, where the mind map is on rickthomas.net, is Mind Mapping, Insecure Husband and Critical Wife. The insecure husband and critical wife is a complex relational problem. But it's not a complex relational problem without a gospel solution. And so in this case study and the mind map, I want to carefully walk you through how to untangle this marriage problem. You're listening now, wherever you may be, jogging, driving, or working around your home, so you won't be able to see the mind map. I can't present it to you in a podcast, but again, I would encourage you to check it out on the website. Let me give you the scenario and then we'll walk through the components or the elements within the mind map and hopefully it will bring us to some wonderful gospel solutions. We have Biff and Mabel. They married 21 years ago. They have three children, boy, boy, and girl, and they attend a reformed church in town. Both Biff and Mabel are active members of their local church, and they do not like each other. Mabel is a nag, and Biff is insecure. It doesn't matter, at least at this point, who fired the first shot. The reality of the situation is is they are hardly in love and have been doing marriage by rote for a long time. Now, maybe at some point in the future, you want to dig into who fired the first shot, but the truth is, if both Biff and Mabel are humble, they will be more focused on the log in their individual eyes rather than the speck in their spouse's eye. And so, 
let's take a look at where they are, and hopefully they will be humble and be willing to address the log in their eyes. It's not that they can't stand each other. If you ask Biff and Mabel on a good day, they would tell you that they are in love. And that's what they periodically put on their Facebook status updates. Please stay away from being convinced that everybody that you see on Facebook is as happy as they present themselves to be. Facebook people are representations of the real people. They are not the real people. They are representations. And we trot out our representatives to put forth into the public domain like a Facebook platform, a social media platform, hoping that people will find our representative more acceptable than the real thing. And sometimes we can be duped by what we see. You don't want to be suspicious of every picture that you see, but you, you want to understand it for what it really is. You have a cyber relationship with this person is Facebook and you do not know the person completely. You're, you're only seeing the person that they present to you. And if you don't look too deep into their marriage and if you don't ask too many probing questions, you would not know that Biff and Mabel have a low-grade anger and unforgiveness that runs under the surface of their lives. In many ways, they are representative of a million couples who name the name of Christ. They are under-discipled, whether that is their fault or the fault of those who call themselves their friends. The end result is they are under-discipled. They entered the church. They plugged into the ministries they wanted to plug into, and no one asked them hard questions about who they are, who they really are. The problem with this kind of pragmatic approach to church ministry is that the accumulative effect of unresolved sin in people can destroy marriages, families, and pockets of the local church, if not the entire body of that local church, not to mention the defaming of God's name. When I talk about a pragmatic approach to church ministry, it's finding people to fill slots. They are statistics. In sports parlance, they talk about it, they talk about it as pieces. This team needs a couple extra pieces to make them a great team. They are just pieces because the pragmatic approach is to win and it really doesn't consider the person and who they are. And we can do ministry that way also. We don't want to be pragmatic, just filling slots. We want to be redemptive and transformative in people's lives, which requires a deeper level of investigation and soul care. Per usual, as these things tend to go, Biff got caught in sin it happens. You let them go. Let any of us go for a long period of time and be basically disinterested in our lives. Well, if you're not doing friendship at that level, sin will creep in. Sin will take hold of your life, and Biff got caught in sin. Interestingly enough, Mabel did not want out of the marriage. She wanted him to get help because of, quote, how this might look on them at the church. And that's usually a repercussion or a side effect 
of the pragmatic approach to ministry. It's about looking good and not revealing who you really are to those who supposedly can help you. And so Mabel wanted help, but not for the right reasons, but that's okay. At least she wasn't playing the divorce card, and, and she wanted somebody to help her. So they came to counseling, and during one of their counseling sessions, I built a mind map that I'm going to try to walk through in this podcast. I hope it's beneficial for you to hear about it. If you want to look at it, I really would encourage you. Again, go to rickthomas.net, look for this article, Mind Mapping Insecure Husband and Critical Wife. And so what I did for Biff is I began to break down his idolatry cluster. He had a cluster of idols that had lodged themselves in his heart and infected his heart. And this cluster of idols is how Biff rolled almost all the time. You could say it like this. I I need to be significant. I need to be affirmed. I need to be accepted. I don't want to be rejected. I, I need for you to like me, love me, appreciate me, to honor me. Now, what I would like for you to hear in all of those I need to be statements is that these cravings are mostly the same. It's many different ways of saying the same thing. Now, the reason that I I put it in a cluster and used these synonyms is because I knew that all of them would not resonate with Biff equally. Usually it's best to communicate in synonyms. I could have asked Biff, do you desire for your wife to honor you? Maybe he would have said no because the word honor didn't resonate. It wasn't the right word for Biff because people are different. They hear things differently. And in important moments like this, you do want to communicate in synonyms. And he will pick one or two or three. Biff noted how really all of them were desires that he wished his wife would meet. He wanted Mabel to, let's just say, love him or to appreciate him or to respect him. Unfortunately for Biff, these unmet desires has escalated into his heart to demands. And that's what happens when you have a, a desire that you really, really, really want to happen. You want someone to give it to you. And if you, if you stay fixated on this, it will become a demand eventually. It was even more unfortunate that Mabel would not see these things, not discern what was going on underneath the surface of Biff's life. Again, they live superficial relationships with each other, but also with their friends. And so nobody was discerning this deeper problem that was masked in Biff's heart. She chose stubbornness over building up her husband, over coming along beside him to help disciple him. She was tenaciously harboring and exercising a critical spirit toward him. Now, he was sinning. I don't want to dismiss that. But when someone is sinning, the response to them is not to sin back. Now, when I sat with Biff, I, I told him that, Biff, you have unwittingly set your wife up to be God. This is how I said it. When cravings for respect, love, significance, acceptance, and appreciation begin to control your heart, 
You are dependent on the person you expect these things from to satisfy those longings. Thus, your unguarded desires make that person your God. Mabel was God in Biff's life. Mabel didn't know it. Biff didn't think about it in this context, but she had power over him. Thumbs up, Biff, and he feels appreciated and things are good. But if she says something unkind or rude or harsh or critical, thumbs down, and Biff would sulk. Basically, Biff had an uncooperating God. Any God that you place over your life who is not Jehovah, Yahweh, it will be an uncooperating God. And the bad news for Biff is that his God was not cooperating by giving him these cravings that he wanted. She was not only refusing to meet his cravings with him, but she was tearing tearing him down by her critical spirit. It's one thing to be on fire but exponentially worse when someone throws gas on your burning body. Biff was on fire, and he was out of focus. The lust of his heart, the cravings that I mentioned, were fire in his soul. Desires for craving, uh, desires for acceptance, respect, love, appreciation. And rather than realigning his mind to the truths of the gospel, He was putting the fire out through ungodly means. He he was complicating his own problem, and he did this two ways. The first way that he threw fire on himself is by anger. Initially, Biff would resort to anger as a way of manipulating his wife to love or respect him. Now, isn't that something? She may look like she is loving and respecting him, but it's not true love or true respect. Anger manipulates. He would yell at her for a while, and she would cow down and become more cooperating. His method was not a long-term fix. It's it's not a fix at all. Sadly, Biff was a lazy man who was looking for immediate results. Pragmatism, again, is creeping into his life. Lazy people use lazy means to accomplish selfish desires. I want what I want, so I'm I'm going to get angry at you and... And, of course, it looks like she's giving him what he wants, but she is not. And so anger was one of the ways that he poured gasoline on himself to try to satisfy this burning for appreciation, respect, love, honor, acceptance. The other is that Biff used porn as a secondary thirst quencher when anger no longer worked. Porn is also a lazy man's relief. He knew he could beckon the cyber ladies to his aid. Though his wife would not cooperate, porn was a, quote, risk-free, end quote, slam slam dunk absolute. I put risk-free in quotation marks because there's awful risk. These ladies on the internet always appreciated him. Again, it's another fake appreciation. If he couldn't sustain fake appreciation from his wife by making her through his anger, he he found fake appreciation by controlling these cyber ladies on the internet, as in his own mind, the fantasy of his own mind. When brutish tactics like anger didn't give him 
the respect he craved, he went to his go-to girls. Biff's secondary thirst quencher is why we were in counseling, by the way. And so that's Biff, a complicated man that people only interacted with on the surface. Now he had, he did have a critical wife. Now I want you to make sure when you listen to this that I am not in any way blaming the wife for Biff's sins. If you think that, if that's your interpretation, if that is what you derive for what I am saying here, then there's something wrong with your thinking. You're mapping your experience over this podcast and over this article because I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is there are two sinners that live in proximity to each other, and they do affect each other, but ultimately when a person chooses to sin, it is their choice, and none of us can stand before anybody, including God, and say, is that woman you gave to me, Lord? And so I'm not saying that at all, but I'm not dismissing the fact that Mabel is a sinner who functionally sins in her marriage and sometimes toward her husband, and in this case, she's a critical wife. I'm not sure if most women understand how detrimental a critical spirit is to a husband. The power of the wife is in her tongue. In a matter of seconds, she can build him up or tear him down. She has the strength to do this. Guys are not as strong as the American egotistical image would like for us to believe. Guys, me, we are sinners too, and we have weak egos. Though the critical wife is not the cause of Biff's sin, she can compound his pre-existing challenge to re reorient his mind to the gospel. In the case of Mabel, she has unresolved hostility toward her husband. There are many things in 21 years of marriage that she has not come to terms with regarding how they relate to each other. Some of them are her fault, while some belong to Biff. But rather than dealing with the problems like a mature Christian, on occasion she says hurtful things to Biff. Her bitterness comes out through the cutting harshness of, of her tongue. Sin should be a context for grace. God came, Jesus came to overcome sin, and he did, and he allowed us to be to come into him, to be adopted. We are adopted. He adopted us. He regenerated us. And now grace overpowers sin. So when there is sin, it is a context for grace. When Mabel is unkind to Biff, Biff has a choice. Though there is temporary hurt from her words, he has the option. He has the power within him. He is a Christian. He has the option to overcome. Now he can sulk in his sinful desires, or he can realign his heart to the gospel. Here are three things that Biff can do. He can let hurt overcome him, preferring to respond in anger, as I outlined earlier. Anger, of course, sets the stage for another battle royal. Each time he gets angry, his wife responds in kind. She, like Biff, feels justified. You sin, therefore I can sin against you. Isn't that how it goes too often it's an endless loop of reciprocal sinning that cannot end well. Not until one of the combatants presses the I'm going to be a Christian right now button. 
too often, the com- one of the combatants, neither of the combatants, press the, I'm going to be a Christian right now. And so what they persist in is reciprocal sinning. Now, he could do that, choose anger. Number two, he can let hurt overcome him temporarily, but soon afterward, he can plead for God's mercy, meaning he can sulk for a while, but eventually come to terms with the gospel. If he does this, there will be grace for his sin. Grace appropriation will not only release him from his sin, but it will allow him to serve his wife to help her work through her sinful attitudes. Now, this is a good option, but here's a better one. When he doesn't get what he wants and his wife's not meeting this craving of the heart, he can immediately apply the gospel to his life and begin an immediate process of helping his wife so she can grow into Christian maturity. Typically, Biff will sulk if his wife does not stroke his his idol cluster. Then he will respond in anger. If If his wife does consent, Everything is pushed back down to their usual low-grade anger and unforgiveness marriage that they present to their unsuspecting friends. Of course, there is never a resolution through this sinful process because the gospel is never authentically and practically applied in their marriage. Biff and Mabel do not know how to do this, which is why they are in counseling. And sadly, their friends either do not care or they do not, how, do not know how to be a friend at this level of redemptive relationships. And that seems to be the majority report with Christian friendships. They either don't care at this level or they don't know how to be a friend at this level of redemptive relationships. Somebody needs to go get Jesus. And Jesus should be the center of this marriage mess because he is the solution for this marriage mess. Neither Biff or nor Mabel are living according to the inheritance given to them through the gospel. The gospel says, now this may strike you as odd, but I want you to persist with me. The gospel says there is nothing. There is not one thing anyone can say or do to Biff That is worse than what the gospel has already declared about Biff. The gospel says that Biff stunk to high heaven. He reeked to the core. He was the worst of the worst. Biff was a low-down, dirty, rotten sinner without hope of ever being rescued. He was declared guilty by God, and eternal torment in hell was his destiny. Biff was a helpless, hopeless wretch of a person. It is too bad that Biff cannot fully grasp this declaration of the gospel. His craving for reputation, particularly with his wife, mutes this gospel declaration. He does not, cannot, will not see that the pathway to freedom is found by cognitively grasping his depraved ruination before God Almighty. The gospel says if Biff could understand this kind of counterintuitive thinking and own it as his own, the insults of others would not gain the crippling access of his mind. I ask him, why do other people's words, insults, or accusations bother you in light of this gospel truth? There is nothing that could be said to you that is worse than what the gospel has already said about you. 
And if the worst thing is already said about you, why do other people's words bother you so much? The answer to the question is that the truths of the gospel do not resonate with Biff. He has an intellectual understanding of the gospel, but he does not have an authentic experiential application of the gospel. I am not saying that Biff is not a Christian. I am assuming minimally the gospel has not affected him the way it should biblically have an impact on a Christian. The ironic thing about Biff's cravings is that he already possesses as a Christian. Listen to this. He already possesses all the things that he craves from his wife. Because Biff is in Christ, all the longings of his soul are satisfied by Christ, which is another kind of declaration from the gospel. He gives us this inheritance. He gives us these riches. The gospel declares that you have these riches in Christ because of Christ, through Christ. And rather than resting in this declaration of the gospel, Bilf is reaching for the fruit that can never satisfy. His insatiable longings for approval are only satiated in Christ alone. Bilf needs to repent to the core of his being. He needs to identify what these sinful longings are and fling himself on God's mercy seat. Furthermore, he needs to invite a few trusted friends if he has them into his life so he can walk them through his sin and how it works out in his life. Did you hear that? He needs to walk them through his sin because up to this point, they have either not cared or they don't know how to do this. He needs to teach them how to care for him. Biff needs to be spiritually aggressive to neutralize and kill the sin that has gripped him for so long. His sin has sinfully caught him, and he could not be satisfied with rote praying or cursory repentance, and he should never be satisfied with rote praying and and cursory repentance. Why doesn't my maturing relationship with Christ satisfy and even overpower my sinful cravings. Biff must ask this question and apply the answer because he has a pronounced worship disorder. To date, he has been out of focus, blaming part of his sin on his wife, his upbringing, other things, and though those are shaping influences, they are not crippling influences because the gospel is greater. He has not fully owned his sin, which is a common side effect for insecure people. He is already insecure, so to own personal sin is to push him further down into his insecurity, and you need to know this when you care for Biff. Remember, he's insecure. He wants to be appreciated. He wants to be loved, accepted, respected. He doesn't want to be rejected. His wife doesn't know how to do that. She has a critical spirit. The person who is discipling him needs to walk carefully. You can't say the things that I'm saying now to him as casually or clearly as I'm saying them here, because this is a podcast. This is teaching, not counseling, and so you must adapt it to him because he is insecure, and these can be hard truths the first time he hears them. It may take a long time for you to care for him this way. But to appease him by not speaking the truth to his life is gospel short-sightedness. The gospel is near Biff. It is at the door of his heart. It is knocking. 
My appeal to him would be to open his eyes to the reality of the situation. It's time to stop blaming and to start owning. It's not his wife. Though she needs to repent too, yes, no doubt, there is a time for that. She needs help. It is Biff who requires divine intervention at this point. My prayer is that he will ask the Spirit to help him to discern the brokenness as outlined in this podcast, in the accompanying article, and in this mind map in this article, and to engage the community of faith to help him overcome his sin for the glory of God. Here are a few questions for you as I wrap up this podcast. One, are you insecure? Are you insecure? How does it play out in your marriage? Don't quickly answer the question. Spend time thinking about it. Ask God. Maybe ask a friend. If you can't talk to your spouse, that would be wonderful. Number two, are you more controlled by what your spouse is doing or not doing? Or are you more controlled by the benefits of the gospel? As David said, do not forget the benefits in Psalm 103. How are the benefits of the gospel affecting you? Number three, is your spouse insecure? This is the time to interact with Mabel. And question number four, are you helping or hindering your spouse from overcoming this sin problem? We're all caught in sin. We all need each other. We need to carefully consider our spouses, our children, our parents, our friends so that we can help them rather than always being offended by them. Thank you for listening. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.